husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come back together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But this I say by way of conscience, not of command. Yet I wish that all men were even as myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. What we're looking at is um, a church that basically asked the founder of the church some questions. There's four questions that start in chapter 7 that were asked of the Apostle Paul. All right, and the first question that he deals with is marriage. Because marriage in the body of Christ in the city of Corinth was a mess, to say the least. Uh, it'd be very similar to marriage in the body of Christ in America today. Okay? Four common ways people were married at the writing of this letter. One is tent companions. Two slaves, uh, one have fallen in love together and they asked the master, may they be united and the master can keep them and say, yeah, you can have the same tent together. Right? Any given time, the master may choose to sell one or both to anyone he chooses to sell them to, and therefore they were still the property of the master. It's an interesting idea, and people kind of struggle with, we don't do that today and all the rest of it. Did you understand that nowhere in the Bible does it teach against slavery? It's an interesting concept. All right? And yet, in that relationship, the Apostle Paul says... Make sure, if that is the relationship that your marriage is in, that it is an exaltation to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All right? A second one is common law. If you were living together with another person and over the course of one year, you could take the other one's name and at that point in time be common law and would be noted and identified by the Roman authorities. There was also a, a financial arrangement where a father would take his daughter and for a dowry or a financial agreement would sell his daughter to a suitor or to whoever he believed would help him financially or in a prearranged dip, uh, uh, agreement. The fourth one is the one that our marriage ceremony is based on. It's called the, the, the marriage of nobility. Uh, basically, the, our whole arrangement, the ring, the cake, the flowers, the veil, the, the giving of the bride, that whole gig comes out of pagan Romans. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, the issue isn't the marriage, the ceremony, or how we came together. That's not the issue. The issue is in light of now I am in Christ, what do I do? Okay. We put an awful lot of emphasis on a ceremony. You just missed it because the emphasis is not the ceremony. The emphasis is Christ. Not only did you have that, there are, I found about 27 different ways you could identify husband and wife. And I just didn't want to go through them. These were the four most popular. There was also a very large, very large and active homosexual community and an amazing feminist community uh, that was even noted by 
the lost Romans. I shared with you some books that I had read. All right? So what the Apostle Paul comes up and deals with first and foremost in verse 1 is that you shouldn't touch a woman. And basically what he's saying is it is okay to be single. You don't have to have this. Um, Sometimes we believe, the Jews believe even today, that when you come together in marriage, that is a higher spiritual plane. All right? We see this today. Our culture promotes it today. The church promotes it today. Why do we have singles ministries? Why? Where in the Bible does it say you must have an active singles ministries? It's not in there. And the truth of the matter is, if you look at it, it's a detriment to the church. Here's why I say that. Um, I've had time to spend with uh, Dr. Stephen Olford, an amazing man of God, very white-haired. And, I mean, you almost feel like you're stepping into the Shekinah. And um, he travels a lot, and he has a heart for Japan. When he goes to Japan, all right, wherever he walks in Japan, um, if he gets ready to get on a subway... All the people get out of his way, Japanese, and make sure that he gets in first. If he gets ready to get a cab and they're hailing a cab and a person gets a cab, he will remove himself from the cab and allow Dr. Olford to get in. Not because they're believers. You know why? He has white hair. He is a man of wisdom. Why would young people want to collect together with young people and nobody's got any wisdom? I can say that. I can say that. Why? I did that. You old people don't know what's going on. I what? And so what do I do? Make all the mistakes that you did. And usually to the 10th power. Right? If you're smart, young people, you go find older people, and therefore you will cut your mistake quotient down by about 95%. Okay, or you're just a moron. <laughs> I even sat there and learned it and didn't do it. Okay, and then we, I don't know what, what I ought to help you with. Okay, but w- that's why I don't understand singles ministries. What's up with that? But that is what the church promotes. Uh, I have a very dear friend uh, who's down in Buena Vista. Uh, that her and her husband helped me a lot when I was young in my faith, and then they moved down there. Anyway, um, Larry was killed in a kayaking accident. And here was this wonderful um, uh, young woman, uh, probably, uh, well, they're younger than I am now, still. (laughs) They haven't gained on me or anything. Um, uh, And uh, I think she would have been uh, probably early 30s, if that, two young children. And the church's counsel was, go to Denver to a bigger church where there's more single men. What? You become a widow in Buena Vista and God doesn't know it? God, God can't bring a man to Buena Vista. I don't understand that. And, and it caused her some, some heartache. Okay, and but yet, what was the mentality? Well, what you're a young woman, you need to remarry. Where's that in the Bible? If you burn with, I'll deal with that text. It's chapter seven of First Corinthians. But my Bible says God really loves widows and orphans, and He really watches over them. Okay, and it doesn't say to get them married. There are are exceptions to that, and I'll deal with that when I get to that. 
But we have that same mentality. That's why when I look at 1 Corinthians, we always want to look at it um, as this old book. This is America. You know, I mean, I don't care what anybody says. This is America. All right. So he's saying if you're single, that's good. There's nothing wrong with that. All right. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But he makes this statement in verse two. But because of immorality, immorality, then he makes a, a, a difference here. Each man is to have his, and I love the word own. Okay. It implies one and not someone else's. All right. Right. That's the way I read it. If you go out and have a wife, oh, that'll get you in trouble, right? Because I know how humans are, what it says, go have a wife. So I'm going after wives or vice versa. All right, so he says because of immorality. Well, look at the culture that was in Corinth. You've got a feminist agenda. You have a, a homosexual agenda. And you've got people who can get married just because it's evening, That literally is one of the reasons that you can get married. It was evening. You can also have, um, anyway, I won't get into all that. All right, so when I look at this, he says, you know, it's good to be single, but because of singleness, you can be tempted. Ask yourself a question. Does our society tempt us if we are single? It tempts you if you're married. And when does it cease? When you die, (laughs) Tom's got it. When you die, it will cease. And it's hammering you for what? Listen, our whole society is based on love. I don't care what anybody says. We want love, and I want to be loved. All right? Now, I like to define it myself. What does it mean to love me? All right? But that's what it is. Everybody's looking. Are we not relationship-based creatures? And we love it. I mean, even us, I am a person who tends to be, uh, like to, to, to be withdrawn. I, I'm not a, 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 an open person. And, and I, so I, I kind of hold back to myself. But yet I still have relationships. I still have, there's people that I reach out to. There's people that I talk to. There's people I fellowship to. And also my job is, you know, I don't know. It just proves God has a sense of humor. Um, and so, but we have relationships. There's people who, you know, are friends, uh, you know, and then you have relatives and weird things like that. But I'm going to get in trouble, ain't I? But uh, um, I love you, sweetie. But uh, as, as we go through this, my wife is in there. She's going to throw something at me. Okay, so if you see something come from the front row, we'll know. All right, but it's, it's stuff like that that I want just to pay attention to. There's a battle for our souls that goes on even after we're saved. After you're saved, the battle only intensifies. As I grow in Christ, the battle only gets worse. Anybody feel better yet? The horror that exists is that many in the body of Christ, they don't even know they're in a war. Therefore, they go stumbling along and get caught in something. Okay? This book was written to a society that I classify as awful. Okay? Uh, Divorce was rampant. Um, Homosexuality, slavery. uh, There was sex was defined as a spiritual position, and you could go get you a priestess. Uh, Try that today, men. I'm going to go out with the priestess tonight. I'm going to have a spiritual thing, honey. I'll be back about midnight. Uh, All right? 
<laughs> I mean, we haven't gone quite that far. Um, but they believed that if you took this, then you were closer to the gods. And this was the norm of the society in which this church existed. That's what's amazing is that God takes this dark hole, boom, and plants a church. Okay? Then you'd have the issues of being single. Is it more holy? Being married, is that more holy? Who's more effective in ministry, a single person, a married person? Uh, Then add into it, um, what do I do if I'm married to a non-believer? And I'll deal with that one here in a moment too. Um, and, And we looked at what is marriage to be. I gave you six reasons, six biblical reasons to marry. Does anybody remember them first? Purity. Second, it's a picture of Christ and the church. Third, partnership. Men, women need help. Fourth, provision. The woman is the weaker vessel and God designed it that man would take care of her. Fifth, come on. Procreation. Sixth, <laughs> Penance. I'm bearing my cross. Pleasure. <laughs> yeah, pleasure. We live in a place that tempts us, and I use pleasure, and everybody's going, penance? <laughs> Which is similar to pleasure, isn't it? <laughs> Don't I give penance and pleasure? No. All right? So there's six reasons why we marry. All right? Biblical reasons. And yes, purity is one of them. But if that's the only reason you're getting married, are you in for a bad day? Okay, and your best bet is if you can't get that person has all six like-mindedness, run away. Run away. Okay? Then the third point I want to look at. Singleness is wrong for the married. Well, duh. (laughs) All right. You know, we look at that and we think it's obvious. Okay, but you know what? It ain't. It ain't. And I'll show you why. Verse 3. The husband must fulfill his duty. I like that translation, though it doesn't really do the text justice. If singleness is so obvious, obviously wrong to married people, why does the Apostle Paul spend three verses on it? Perhaps it's not as obvious as we would like to think it is. Okay? Um, People get saved. And they come to a realization. I always use the illustration of the puppy dog. When people first get saved, they're like puppy dogs. All right? They are just a bundle of newness. They wag their tails and they're jumping and they're just thrilled to death. Of what God has done. They just, whoa! The problem is that they tend to go to the bathroom all over the place and uh, you can't keep control of them and things like that. And I want you to think about that because that, what happens if you're in a marriage relationship and one of you gets saved? I said, one of you gets saved. Okay? That young Christian understands that they have been bought and paid for with a price and they want to be totally set apart unto the will of God. Okay? 
Um, some would even go as far as I need to stop all physical relationships because it's distracting me from my focus on the Lord. I've seen this in two Christians who were married. All right? I will give all of my devotion to God. And that can be male or female. And how much stronger is it if you have a non-believing spouse, an unbeliever? How can I be devoted wholly to Christ and have a physical relationship with an unbeliever? Let me tell you something. I know right now five cases where people struggle with that. How can I be devoted to the things of God when my husband and or my wife is an unbeliever and wants to have physical relationships? Remember, he's going back to verse 1, which is a question. How do you deal with it? How do I deal with this? All right. The literal translation here, the husband must render the debt. Okay. You got that? Now, this is the believer. So if you're single today, I want you to hear this really clearly. If you're married, I want you to hear it even more clearly. There is an obligation in marriage to give to one another that you owe to the other person. It is a debt. You've got to understand that. Have you ever heard this? Marriage is a give and take. That's not what that text teaches. It says you have an obligation to fulfill it and you are bound in this life to that obligation. What about if they don't fulfill theirs? That's not the qualifier. You as a child of God have the qualifier. Or you are, uh, have the ability and you have the absolute authority to do it. You don't, it's not an option. Look what he says. You are a debtor, men, to your wife. Ladies, I'm into equal rights. You are a debtor to your husband. Guess what? Is that believers or non-believers? Doesn't matter. Why? How were people married in the Corinthian church? Who knows? Who knows how they were married? But now that you're saved, here's what your marriage is. You got that? It hasn't been until our generation or our, our century that all of a sudden the pastor is the guy who does the marrying. I have people who call, uh, well, it should pick up Stephanie in spring. Will you do my marriage? I'm already married. <laughs> Sorry. And, and they, you know, if they want to use this building, they can use this building. I don't do weddings uh, unless they have been under my teaching for years. I don't buy the, um, well, will you counsel us? Can you wait to get married three years? All right. That's just why. I, God didn't call me to be a marrying guy. They, the, the, judge, what are they, the judge does that. The justice of the peace does that. All right. And we got to understand that. Marriage has its obligations. You are to pay your debt to one another and you fulfill your duty 
to one another. I like this text. Well, I do. It's kind of a bummer. All right. It's present imperative. You know what that means? Continually rendering to the wife the debt. Wives continually rendering to the husband the debt. What's the debt? Verse 4. It seems pretty simple to me. I don't think you have to be a theologian, uh, an expert in the language to understand what it says here. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. What's the debt? Physical relationship. Now that you're a Christian, it doesn't change. Okay? You continue in the marriage. You fulfill the sexual desires of one another. That's the context. Bummer, huh? Some of us are thinking bummer. I can see it on your faces. All right? The physical is a part of how God made marriage. Did you understand that? That relationship that we call sex, we didn't think it up. We didn't create it. It's not our invention. God did it. Why? I do it multiple reasons. One, we all think, I watch Christians who literally get into marriage and they think sex is only for procreation. That is the most idiotic thing that I've ever heard in my life. That is insane. I read a book. I'll share it with you in a minute. It's called Sex and Sanity. It's a Christian book. You guys are what? <laughs> Our pastor's reading pornography. It's not. All right? In marriage, as a Christian, you have a physical union, and it can be expressed any way you want, man or woman. Why? The union's in Christ. God designed in the fulfilling of that union, and God designed the pleasure of that union. Absolutely. All right? The Bible even glorifies it. Did you know that? Sex. The Bible glorifies. Okay? Now now listen, I'm not talking about what the world promotes. I'm talking about what God said, this is good. Alright? That's what I'm talking about. Alright? Because the Bible exalts the physical side, the physical intimacy between a man and a woman. Just in case you don't believe me, I wrote it down. Women, how would you like this? Okay, now listen, ladies. This is tough here. This is written by a guy, too, by the way. All right, now how would you like this? And just shut your eyes and think about this. And my voice is kind of raw, so think of, think of your husbands. <laughs> we'll do that. Okay? How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Is that a good thing? <laughs> I think if I told my wife her hair was like a flock of goats, uh, well, you go sleep with the sheep. <laughs> I, I think in this culture it was a good thing. Okay? Oh, yeah, here, look, I need, I need to read the rest. Your hair is like a flock of goats that have descended from Mount Gilead. I'm still not thinking that's going to work for her. All right? Your teeth are like the flock of newly shorn ewes, which have come up from their washing, all of which bear twins. 
and not one of them has lost her young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples are like a slice of pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built on rows of stone on on which are hung a thousand shields. That's the Bible. Dudes, how about this? How would you like to have your lady say that? Well, I'm not sure about this one either now. I read it. Uh, Well, I was reading in King James and it didn't come out ruddy. Uh, Anyway, you you see what I mean? My beloved, you're dazzling and ruddy. I'm thinking that's good. (laughs) I always thought ruddy was like short. It's a color? Okay. You're dazzling and red. All right. Outstanding among 10,000. His head is like pure gold, pure gold. His locks are like clusters of dates and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside the streams bathed in milk and reposed in their settings. That's the Bible speaking on the physical relationship between a man and a woman. That comes from the Song of Solomon, verse uh, chapter five, 4 and chapter 5. All right? God designed marriage to be a physical expression of love, and God honors the physical desires of marriage. It's his. He created it. Paul is saying, go back to your text, Paul is saying you have an obligation to one another to fulfill the physical desire, the physical love, the physical need that each other has. Why? I gave him the needs. And I gave you to that person to fulfill that need. I think it's cool. Mutual sex. I can't think of another way to describe it, but that's the way it's described. Love in marriage is a duty. It is an obligation. It is the vehicle for the expression of that love. The very act of sex itself will strengthen that love. I guarantee it. Okay, why? God made it that way. Here's a book I read. It's called Sex and Sanity. Quote, For the lost... It is a safety valve for irresistible desires. But for a Christian man, that's the chapter the guy was focused on, the sexual life is is infinitely more than that. It is is a breathtaking experience, a bold and blessed intoxication. Sex is not only the appropriate means for the expression of love, but it also means by means of which the love itself is strengthened and sustained, unquote. The two become one. There's an intimacy that is shared. It is more than a physical act. All right? Um, It is... Listen, if if it's not more than a physical act, what is the penalty for adultery in the Old Testament? Death. So God is saying by its penalty that there's got to be something serious about it. Right? Wouldn't it, ain't that the way I, you would read that? That's how I would read it. So he says, pay your debt. Pay your debt. In v- verse 3, he has two imperatives in the present. Then he, it's followed by two indicatives in verse 4. Okay, what that is saying is it's a statement of fact. 
All right, it's not open for how can I move it around. Uh, this is one of those, when I, I've shared with some of you, when I study scripture, one of the first things I'm begging God to show me is absolute truth. Okay, I want the absolute truth here. All right? Pay your dues to one, to no, one another. Render, fulfill it. It is a duty. It is an obligation. Why? Why is this physical thing such a big deal? Verse 4. What does it say? The wife does not have authority over her body, own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now grab that for a second because I'm in a, in a text that says I have an obligation. Okay? Have you ever watched people date? Huh? Now I can only do it from a men's perspective. Okay? I know how men are. Because I are one. All right? And it is amazing when you take a bachelor who's not looking for a spouse or, or a date. We'll use that term. He's not looking for a date. What he looks like, what he acts like, and how he carries himself. But if you bring a female in, what happens to him? Right? He moves from... Come on. You men can be honest about it. You move from the pig pen to the palace. Right? I, you know, I, well, you do. I, no, I'm, okay, oh, I don't. I'm, no, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. Why? If I'm by myself and I'm single, I spent many years single, I know how I was. And if I had a date, what did I do? I'd take my monthly shower, <laughs> I'd shave, find some smelly stuff and put on, which you never, I never wore smelly stuff until I got married or was getting ready to get married. And then she threatened me, if, I, if you stop wearing that, um, your face will become sight. But, uh, but I want you to exp think about it. Now, wait a minute, because I've seen women do the same. Okay? Men, I'm going to ask you an honest question. You guys are married. How radiant was your bride on that day? There's a smart man over there. <laughs> okay. Never seen anything like it ever before in my life. Uh, that probably wouldn't work either. But uh, but you see what I'm trying to get at? Okay, women, what happens? If I was unbelievable then... What are you now? Think about how many times you would afflict yourself eating or not eating this, wearing this and not wearing that because you were doing what? But after you have that man, what do you do? Same thing the man does. Same thing the man does. What? I'm done. I can go back to however I was. Well, you married me. Yeah, but I, it wasn't that picture when we got married. Oh, you didn't read the fine print. Same thing with women. Let me ask you a question. If the text is true, who has authority over your body? You know what? It's funny when I come to church. Uh, I, I'm not a suit and tie kind of guy. And uh, everybody compliments me on the days my wife dresses me. They do. 
man, you look good today and stuff. I sat there going, huh. <laughs> I just know how to do this, do I? And most of you say, yep, you're right, you don't. <laughs> but I'm honest enough to admit it. Who has authority over your body? Your partner does. Lady, your, bo- your body belongs to him. Gentlemen, your body belongs to her. If she says, I would like you to get rid of your Buddha belly... What should your response be? You called me Buddha? (laughs) What's your response? I don't have six pack. I have two and three quarter cases. (laughs) But right? Right? Um, And I was convicted about this. I started studying this uh, toward Christmas, around Christmas. And I started looking at this. And my wife being a nurse, and then I have some pre-existing health conditions and stuff like that. And she's always on me about it. And I always use the the phrase to say, you know what? Why do you want me to live forever? (laughs) I'm just as soon get out of this thing a little quicker. But I was studying this. You know what God said? You don't have authority over your body. If your wife wants to see you prolong it, guess what? I'm obligated to do that. So in January, I started exercising. (sighs) Why? I'm obligated. (laughs) Whatever expression that is practical, a practical expression that she has on her mind for you, you've got to do it. You're obligated. All right? Guess what? Women, you're the same. I'm not going to use the Buddha belly on for women. I'm smarter than that. Listen, we talk about the give and take thing. Where is it? I don't see it here. It's non-existent. It's present tense. You know what that means? You don't want to know what this means. This is one of the time I have a Greek dictionary. I gave it away today because I learned what present tense meant. And I said, I don't want to know no more. I'm actually thinking about stopping here and going to Philemon. Deal with slaves. How much trouble can I get into dealing with slaves? Present tense. That would make it a long life commitment. All right? Wife, continually, lifelong, does not have authority over her own body. Nor does the man. That's present tense. Okay? Have you done this, guys? I wish you never. Look into her eyes and say, you're mine. That's biblical. That's biblical. That is the truest and the purest sense that you could ever say. And the ladies, same way. You look, look into your husband's eyes, your own husband's eyes. I'll use biblical so I don't get in trouble. Um, and say, you're mine. Absolutely. Lock, stock, and barrel. And if you don't like it, quote the verse. Because then they have to take it up with the boss. To each other, it is the fullest uh, to know that God even supports it. I mean, can you understand that? This is the fullest way that the manifestation of the union that God created that you and I call marriage is there. Why? She owns my body. Okay? Now, some of you are saying, man, can I get a trade in? But that, it ain't working that way. Okay? You know, this, that one Eric broke. <laughs> it, it been hit. It was in an accident. It needs body work. 
Okay? In the simplest sense, I, I will say our bodies are our own. This is a vessel that God has given me, a tent that's temporary. It's a clay pot. Uh, in a spiritual sense, it is the Lord's. Uh, Romans 12.1, present your body as living sacrifice. But in the marital sense, it is the body belongs to your partner. Absolutely. It's all hers or it's all his. There is no qualifier here. There's no qualifier. It says if they're saved, uh, if they're not saved, it doesn't give that. It says this is the way God has designed it. Sharing a marriage. You know, what is amazing about this verse, and I spend sometimes too much time. Um, listen to this verse. Then I, sh- I said to her, you shall be with me all my days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have another man, and I will also be towards you. That is a guy who understands the relationship, the obligation between a man and a woman. You know who that guy is? Hosea. You know what I was reading about Hosea? You know, it's kind of, I don't know, you just take this and then file it away. Do you know God commanded Hosea to marry Gomer? I don't know what the implications are in that, but God commanded it. So when I read that, I thought, honey, you should be encouraged. God commanded you to marry me (laughs) in spite of it, of me, okay? So the sharing of this marriage uh, is the two are one until life is over. Not only that, all authority that I have over myself has been obligated to another person. I just, that's amazing. You don't break up a marriage because you're a Christian. You don't stop the physical side of marriage because now I'm saved. There is no higher spiritualness whether you are single or whether you're married. It's neither one. It is good to be single, he says. But listen, it's good to be married too if that's what God has given you. What God has given you, don't violate it. Peter calls marriage the grace of life. I like that. It's sort of like the whipped cream on the Sunday. Okay, life is great. Life is abundant. Whether you're single, whether you're married. And life abounds to every Christian, period. Regardless of the relationship status that you have. And some receive a little whipped cream of marriage. But let me ask you a question. How many of you would be willing to stand up and take your wedding vows now And say, I give absolute authority of my body to you. Until death do we part. Now you grab that and think about it because how many times does your wife want to go fishing or elk hunting or duck hunting or something? What if she says, I don't want my body out there duck hunting or boating or whatever it is you think you want to go do. Remember this, if you're single today or if you're married today, I want you to hear this. Marriage is a permanent surrender of everything to your partner. 
Got that? Because when he uses the term body here, he's talking physical. I'm hers in the absolute fullest and truest sense. Okay? But look, he takes it a step farther. You got to love old Paul. Why? Because at the end of this thought, what does he say? I would have you be as me. (laughs) Why? All right. Look what he says. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time. All right. Physical relationship. But there's a step to it. Now that we belong to the Lord, we must do this. I am obligated. Okay, but let me think about something. But there may be times when you uh, agree not to have the physical relationship because you want to pray. Now, I'm going to clear this up because I, I know a bunch of you is going home tonight. And sweet nothing will come in your ear and you say, don't bother me, I'm praying. <laughs> I ain't going to let you get away with that one. All right. There's guidelines that are listed here for prayer. Okay? I want to look at a word, a phenomenal word. It says, except by agreement there in verse 5. I can't say this word in the Greek, but I know what word we get from it. Symphony. I like that. It just sounds cool to me. A mutual harmony comes together. Unless your hearts are in symphony. Let me explain something to you guys, men and women. If both of you are saved today, then you both have the same Holy Spirit. There is no female Holy Spirit and male Holy Spirit. Okay? He, sorry, is one and all. So if God has laid on your heart some massive burden, it'll be on your spouses too. Why? It's only one Holy Spirit. And he doesn't say, you know what? I would like for you to pray, you take a chill pill. That's not the word symphony. That would be that in the beginning. You ever heard a symphony play when they're all whatever it is they think they're doing? That is not a symphony. That's getting ready to be a symphony. Okay? There comes a time when we consent a mutual agreement that we abstain from physical um, relationships. Why? If I do it without the consent of my partner, then I am robbing my partner. Why? I have an obligation to a debt. If I don't pay the debt, what is that? Stealing. Okay? But, look what it says. For a time... All right. It isn't, you know, I've got this heavy burden. I think for the next 22 years, I'm going to pray. What do you think? No, it's for a time. You set a time. We're going to pray. It's consent. It's mutual agreement. We both agree. And then we're going to be, because God has laid this on our hearts, how long do we take it? And I want you to look at it because uh, it says, the New American Standard translates it, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. The original language is definite article, the prayer. Okay? So what it's saying is, is that a specific burden has come upon your hearts, a couple, to p- 
petition the Lord on behalf of the situation. And you are both in mutual agreement. And for how such a time shall we pray? Okay, an hour, 20 minutes, five minutes, three days. Dear, we agree because God has laid us on our hearts. Um, some of your translations will say fasting. Uh, it is not in the better manuscripts, though I understand why it is in there, why prayer and fasting sometimes go hand in hand. Um, and it can be a part of prayer. Um, I'm not teaching on fasting right now. So if you feel and your spouse feel led to fast and pray, then do it. Absolutely do it. Okay. Uh, but there's a mutual agreement. Now, listen, if you got a burden, say, I'll stay with the men. Man, you got a big, heavy burden, something God just banged you with that you need to deal with. All right. But your partner doesn't have it. Your spouse doesn't have it. Your wife. Do not rob her of that relationship. God will give you the strength to carry the burden and surrender to your wife. Okay? So if you go home tonight and she whispers in your ear, sweet nothings, you are obligated. Anybody know what sweet nothings comes from? I don't either. But I wrote it down here and then I put a question mark by it. Why did I write that? But anyway, the idea of agreement to a pray about something, it's a specific th- something, and we're going to, to, to bear this burden. Uh, it comes in your life as a great spiritual reality. Um, I know that in my wife and my uh, time together, um, we've had a few of these. Um, there comes a time when there's a struggle, a spiritual struggle takes place, and, and you recognize that there is a tremendous need. You lose the desire, the craving of the physical. And uh, to God's glory, uh, as far as I know, we've always been in agreement. Uh, I mean, she's never complained, but let us press on. You become lost in a struggle. You become lost in a spiritual battling, seeking out the will of God's plan, striving for the face of God. And it becomes this consuming thing. You know what? I pray that happens to more of you, to be honest with you. But I, I pray that it happens to you as a couple because um, it's way more fun to watch. Um, you know what? Another one I just thought about. There may be a time that you fall into sin and you need a time of purification. Okay? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Okay? It also says if we confess to one another. And James, do you remember that one? Some of you better. Um, Confess it, men, women, to your spouse. Say, I have stumbled into sin and I need your prayers. How great is that intimacy of the man and the woman going to be? Your hearts need to be given to one another, totally to the Lord during that time. And it's in that case, you need to withdraw from the physical relationship. Why? There's a historical pattern that de- demonstrates on this. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 15, um, they're preparing to see the Lord. Israel is. Get, you get this? He's getting ready to come down on Mount Sinai. And he calls them in verse 15, separate from your wives. Why? We're going to speak face to face. 
There's a purification. Uh, you know what? If you're getting ready to go stand at the foot of Mount Sinai and God's getting ready to light up the mountaintop and you're getting ready to get to, you had better be single-minded focused. You really better. And that's what we need to do. We bow. Why? I want to concentrate on the things of God. There's no problem with that. There's no problem with that. Joel, Joel chapter 2, uh, Assyria is getting ready to destroy Israel. And uh, here's what the Lord says. Yet, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting and weeping and mourning and rend your heart, not your garments. For now, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, even a grain offering, a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow a trumpet for Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, the nursing infants, let the bridegroom come out of his room and the bride out of her bridal chamber. You know what that means, don't you? but we haven't consecrated our marriage. That's going to be the least of your problems, Joel is saying. Zacharias says it uh, in Zacharias chapter 12, verses 10 through 12, and in the same type, he says, come away, come away with mourning, move away from your loved ones. May be a time, a mutual consent, the symphony of the heart. All right? Let me show you something, and we'll wrap it up with this. Okay? Now listen, I, I want to emphasize this. This is prayer for a greater desire for spiritual things. This isn't, we both want a new home, let's pray. That's not a spiritual thing. All right, that's, that's not what he's talking about. I'm talking about spiritual things. Seeking the face of God. Okay, why? That I may see Christ and Christ may be seen in me. Okay, and my wife. All right, but let me show you something. At the end of verse 5, you may devote yourselves to prayer. And then what does he say? Come back together again. You put the time frame on it and then do what? You come back together again. Only that time, it's temporary. Why? Look what it says. At the end of the verse, it says, because of your lack of self-control. Who's he talking to? Believers. Do believers have a lack of self-control? Absolutely. And if you have a lack of self-control... Get back together physically, quickly. Why? There are people... Now listen, I've I've been trying to figure out how in the heck I can deal with this without being offensive. And you know what? There just isn't any way I can do this. All right? So if you're guilty, please don't come to me because I may tell you you're guilty. All right? Not that I know, but usually when people... It's press on. There are people in the body of Christ... Remember what he said here. Stop depriving yourselves. There are people in the body of Christ who use sexual aspect of marriage to manipulate what they want. Do what I want or sleep on the couch. You know what? Bless your hearts, men. You're like Pavlov's dogs. We are. I know exactly what needs to be done so that what? Men are trained well. They are. 
Why? We know exactly what to do to get the right response. We know when the flowers work. We know when the perfume works. We know when the candy works. We know when the, my, you look good works. We, you know, um, whatever you're going to do. We know how to do it. And yet I see people, and, I, and I'm not going to, I don't know, I'm not going to say whether women do it more or men do it more. I don't know. I don't know. But I know that I know people right now who use sex, the physical relationship of their marriage, to manipulate that person to what they want. Let me tell you something. That's a sin. You're not paying a debt. When you withhold from your partner for any reason, hear what I'm saying. Because if you're withholding from your partner saying, I'm praying and they're not, you're not fulfilling your debt. For any reason, you put the partner in a place where Satan and our enemy will tempt them towards their lack of self-control. You did it. Why? It starts with this, bitterness. I'm a little bitter about it. Why? Because I just wanted the physical part. It becomes anxiety. Okay? Anguish between two people that God has joined together and poured his love in their heart. And then the evil thoughts come in. And then the evil thoughts give over to adulterous situation. And whose fault was it? Anytime you withhold from your partner that which is rightfully theirs, you become an agent of Satan. It's pretty strong wording from the apostle. You say you love your spouse, then don't put them in a situation where they are open to the temptation of the enemy. Simply based on your selfishness. But I don't know what you say. Other than that, just gets right down where we live, doesn't it? If we love them with the love that Christ showed us on Calvary, we will never put them in a place of temptation. In the church, it seems that there are always those in the flesh struggling to walk in the Spirit. You ever seen those? You ever thought maybe that that person is struggling perhaps with a physical problem? That is not being met by their God-given partner. You ever thought about that? That maybe the frustration that is in your partner comes from you? Selfish spouse? Their own marriage, a place that bombards their thoughts with adultery. Interesting thought. Stealing from them and then putting them in a place of temptation, you have just become an agent of state, Satan. Hmm. Singleness is good. But singleness is tempting. And you know what? Singleness doesn't belong to the married. Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for your word. Lord, uh, you know our hearts. You know what we struggle with. Even your word from the Apostle Paul says that we struggle with a lack of self-control. Help us, Lord. Help us walk as you walked. Father, I pray for the marriages of this church. Father, we may every 
person in this church who's married understand that they have given the authority of their body solely and wholly to their partner. And Father, may you bless that union. Father, for those who are single, Lord, I lift them up in a special way that you would hold them in a way that they may know your presence. And that, Father, that they would understand that singleness is good. Father, keep them from being tempted. And Father, may we who are married, may we be able to come alongside and help them walk. Help them walk worthy. Help them walk Christ-focused. But Father, may we who are married, may our marriages be nothing but the picture of Jesus Christ and his church. Father, let us not be an agent of Satan in our own marriages. Father, may we lift our spouses up as chaste, pure, holy virgins. Father, if you give us others, may we embrace them and draw them that they may walk complete in you. And Father, may we give you the glory of the amazing things that you do. Father, may the single seek out the wise counsel of those who are in the fight. Father, may those who are married, who are not in the fight, get into it. And Father, may we bow, prostrate before you as vessels, as our brother Isaiah. Here we are, send us. Father, may we give you the praise and the glory in Christ, in Christ alone. Amen.